Italian Wine Podcast, a Wine to Wine Business Forum 2021 media partner, is proud to present a series of sessions highlighting the key themes and ideas from the two-day event held on October the 18th and 19th. 2021. This hybrid edition of the Business Forum was jam-packed with the most informed speakers discussing some of the hottest topics in the wine industry today. For more information, please visit winetowine.net and tune in every Thursday at 2pm Central European Time for more episodes recorded during this latest edition of Wine to Wine Business Forum. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Nadia Zanato. I am a producer from Veneto, from Verona, and uh, I'm very familiar with the uh, USA market uh, because it's one of the most important uh, market uh, for our wines. And uh, I am very excited today to share this uh, panel with uh, Alberto, uh, where uh, Alberto Martinez Interiano is a, is a blogger, is an educator. And so I think it's a great opportunity for all of us to share, to understand better about the Hispanic wine, Hispanic community. And so I really like to ask, so just for introduce you the characteristic of the wines, Hispanic wines and the community, because maybe some of us uh, doesn't know about exactly uh, mean uh, Hispanic uh, wine and the Hispanic community. Perfect. So great, I'll be happy to. Great, uh, thanks. Thank and you. Good afternoon, everybody. Buon pomeriggio a tutti. Uh, yeah, so my name is Alberto, and uh, um, in the next 30 minutes, I'll be quite excited to share some insights about one of the fastest growing consumer segments in the US and one that is relatively untapped. There is an untapped market that has a lot of potential for wine in general and specifically for Italian wine. So um, with that, let's further ado uh, a little bit about myself. So as um, Nadia mentioned, I'm a wine educator based in Seattle. Uh, also, uh, I'm recently became an uh, in Italy, uh, Italian wine ambassador too. And on the personal side, I was born and raised in El Salvador in Central America and have lived in the U.S. for the last 20 years. So first, as Nadia was asking, who are these people? What's the, what's the U.S. Hispanic market? What's, what do they look like? So the definition is anybody, any person whose origins are in Latin America or in Spain. So that's sort of the Latino or Hispanic market, as, as it's called. Um, in terms of a few facts about who we are, uh, in the last census in 2010, it, is, it was accounted for over 50 million people. And uh, uh, that represents, it is expected to grow in the next few years, in the next five, 10 years, to nearly 60 million. So it's a quite a sizable market. It represents close to 16, people said about 18% of the total US population. So that's roughly one out of six US consumers. And especially if we go to the younger people, to children and teenagers, it's one out of four. So it's quite a, quite a, a relevant market. We see also that there's, uh, uh, this is the consumer segment that accounts for the largest growth in uh, population in the last 10 years. And as of last census, more than half of the total population growth came from the Hispanic uh, consumers. In terms of uh, purchasing power, an interesting fact, as it shows here in this slide, 
is that over $1.3 trillion of consumer spending power. And just to put it into context, that is pretty similar to what the entire consumer economies of in countries like Australia, Spain, or Mexico. So quite a sizable uh, spending power too. Finally, when we speak about the US Hispanic market, it's not really a monolith, just one single uh, segment that it's exactly the same. There are a lot of commonalities, but there's also uh, quite a few differences. First of all, as you can see here, uh, just for country of origin, it's a wide and diverse space. There are people that are, have their origins in, in Mexico, in Central America, and South America. So where they're coming from is quite diverse. Also in terms of level of uh, acculturation or assimilation into the mainstream society, there are people who are recent immigrants who have just a few years and probably uh, Spanish continues to be their dominant language, all the way to people who've been there, you know, sometime or even second or third generation where they're either at home, they're bilingual or sometimes most likely English dominant. And just like other segments in the US, there's also quite diversity in terms of age. We have Generation X, there's also, uh, well, the baby boomers, people over 55 years old and especially important as, we, as we've seen here, uh, there's a large growth in the millennial and Gen Z space. So lots of diversity in terms of age, uh, country of origin, and, uh, and nationalities. In terms of the, the main markets where you can find this, yes, it's, I think that we would say that Hispanics were pretty much in all 50 states, but mostly where there are some population centers that are, uh, we find a large, large majority of them. And there are four states, kind of on both coasts, there's California, New York, Florida, and also Texas in the middle, who has a, a, a quite an important uh, Hispanic population. So we've seen that, yeah, this is a large market that has been largely untapped, and it, it is, there's a, quite a, an important source for growth in the industry. Um, it uh, closely represents not only the present, but specifically the future, what the future U.S. consumer is going to look like. Uh, one of the old assumptions that people think when they think about the average U.S. consumer, it is this kind of Anglo-Saxon, white, middle-aged man, most likely. And uh, that is actually far from the truth. That was valid maybe you know, 20, 30 years ago. But nowadays, it's changed. And it's probably going to continue to change uh, into a more diverse uh, population. Um, not only that, but there's a couple of uh, behaviors that are really relevant for the wine industry. One is uh, there's a lot of affinity already with uh, many wine growing areas, you know, South America, Spain, Italy, uh, in terms of just culture, uh, linguistics, and especially there's a lot of food uh, similarities too. Main values are the, what I call the three Fs, family, food, and friends and social interaction. And for those uh, uh, Italians out here, you can see that there's a lot of similarities. There are many, many of the values that are shared with, with the traditional Italian customs. And that's something that unlike the general US market, which is a lot more individualistic in a way, uh, as uh, Latinos, we, we're a lot more social and friends and family, it's a, it's a big part of the society. 
Um, in terms of trends, uh, wine consumption, it is, it is growing. And as we see here, in the last 10 years, regular wine consumption among Hispanics has grown over 50%. And it's expected to continue even grow even further. There's also a higher willingness to pay compared to the general market. I think in a recent survey, uh, over half of the Hispanic consumers said that they would spend more than $15 a bottle uh, for a bottle of wine, which is about 30% higher than the general consumer. Um, and finally, like many other sort of emerging markets, there's a lot of, there's a, quite an aspirational value uh, in wine. People, when they start drinking wine, it's sort of uh, a way of saying, I made it and I'm sort of, uh, I'm successful. And that's quite important, especially as uh, incomes uh, continue to grow. Here are a couple of interesting data points in terms of one is uh, one of the main criteria, a criteria that uh, uh, when asked U.S. Hispanics was about country of origin. How relevant is country of origin, meaning where the wine comes from? How important is that in the decision-making journey? And it is really important for Hispanics. A lot more is about 40% versus 30 for the general market. So where the wine comes from, as opposed to say, uh, the style or the grape, it's, it's very important. Not only that, but also in, the, this is a recent survey from the Wine Research Institute in, in Texas that the, they surveyed uh, Hispanic consumers and asked, where, what are your preferences depending on where the, where the wine's country of origin is? It's not surprisingly, about 30% said that U.S. and especially California was sort of the, the go-to country for consuming wine. But then we see number two, far ahead of many other places, is Italy with about 18%. So, and that's uh, even more so than other places that are either well-known producers like France or Spain and even South American countries like Chile and Argentina. So there is a high preference already for Italian wines. As you see, there's a lot of positive trends, but there are some potential barriers of challenges that could uh, limit this growth in, in this market. First of all, starting with uh, just wine, it's familiar. It is part of kind of society, but it is not an everyday drink. Uh, most of uh, Hispanics consume wine, not really on a regular basis. The average uh, consumption is about two and a half bottles per month, which is not that, that a whole lot. And less than 10% state that they drink wine daily. So um, like other US consumers, uh, wine is still mostly drunk as a sort of aperitif or cocktail before or after the meal. Um, and uh, there was also some perceptions, somehow, I don't know, wrong, that Latin food doesn't necessarily pair well with wine. Um, so one of the opportunities, there are a couple of opportunities that I see here. One is just increasing that frequency and making more of a regular daily consumption. And that can be done by actually positioning wine as more of a casual drink that goes well at the dinner table to complement your meals which is something that is quite familiar probably for uh, people in, in uh, Italy and other European countries. Um, also, there's uh, that perception that wine is more as elite, is really not for me. And there are some gaps of knowledge. People don't really know that much about wine. 
in general and about Italian wine. So there's opportunities to educate this audience in many different aspects. And finally, this wine is not the only player in this in this uh, in the in the beverage industry. And there are other beverages that have been focusing on Hispanic markets for quite some time and quite successfully. Beer, uh, in particular, uh, spirits in general, and even sort of new wave, trendy drinks like hard seltzers most recently. So um, here's where uh, I believe that there's a big opportunity for one educators in general to be the bridge that exists between this huge market of uh, future and um, uh, potential cons uh, consumers and the wine industry. And there are multiple ways that uh, think we can do that. Uh, one is uh, by bringing that cultural relevance, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so far you can reach those customers with a general sort of mainstream message, but there's an opportunity to be culturally relevant. And by that, I mean things like, for example, um, when given descriptors about wine, make it in terms and in descriptions that make sense for, for Hispanic consumers. For example, uh, we, when we hear about some wines that smell like boysenberries and uh, gooseberries, there are some things that most people most haven't really, uh, don't really know what that is, right? That's more of a really Northern European type of fruit. So just bring it into some aromas and, and uh, general uh, descriptors and flavors that are more akin to what people can relate to. I think that's, that's quite simple and easy to do. As I mentioned, education is key. So just getting the lay of the land of where things are and where is the wine coming from, it can go a long way towards just getting that, registering that in, in consumers' minds. Um, and there's also the opportunity to do it with, with food and pairing that local pairings with local food, uh, Latino food dishes makes, uh, makes a lot of sense and can sort of start to get this, uh, make it more of a habitual drink. Um, there's, finally, there's a, um, an opportunity to sort of people relate and, um, and are more open and more um, receptive when they look, you know, when, when they look up to people who kind of speaks and look like them. And we see that if we see that the 60-year-old, Anglo-Saxon man in uh, advertising or in any type of communications, it really doesn't quite register. But if we see somebody who looks and acts and speaks like them in their terms, uh, it's, there's a lot more potential to sort of make it that relevant. Uh, and um, however, there is one thing that uh, there's only very few, and there's an opportunity to grow the number of Hispanic one educators. Uh, just in an informal survey that I did right before this, um, put into, as I was putting together this, this presentation. Um, in the large US uh, WSET schools, only about 2% of uh, instructors and educators are Hispanic. So there are some, we have some way to go in terms of increasing that number of people who can act as a bridge. And I mean, not only sort of forward educators, but anybody who's in contact with, uh, uh, with Hispanic consumers, whether that's you know, sommeliers or people that work in retail shops, uh, distributors, importers, etc. Uh, here's just a, a small sample of some best practices or some people who are doing, uh, have taken a really great first steps.
to, to do so. For example, I'd like to call out, uh, there's an organization that recently was uh, founded called Hispanics and Wine, who is, uh, that's basically a new platform to promote wine and wine culture among this audience. And uh, what they do is, one, they raise awareness overall in the industry, awareness about about uh, just wine and to say that we're, we're here, awareness of the Hispanic consumers, uh, and build connections and build sort of a community of like-minded individuals who appreciate wine and who sort of can serve as a, as a snowball to get, the, to get that uh, cultural uh, process going. Um, and there are also uh, people who are doing educational initiatives and either promoting jobs within the industry. Um, there's also new media, and especially here, so millennials and Gen Zs are doing really interesting things to reach these new type of consumers in different ways that traditional education was like. Uh, for example, here I'm, I'm featured um, uh, uh, this guy called Roberto Rivera, which has a, an Instagram and a YouTube channel called Roberto on Corks, and it's a series of videos that he creates to really promote uh, uh, more like educational videos about learning, about wine, about great varieties in a more sort of informal, fun uh, fun way that is really appealing to the millennial audience and, and even younger than that. And finally, to my right, there's another best practice of actually regional boards who are doing specific outreach to the market. And in this case, uh, the CIDD or the Comité Bordeaux, uh, a few years ago put together you know, a partner with this really well-known um, Latino chef and TV personality, and uh, put together this, this new campaign called Viva Bordeaux, which was basically um, a great online recipe in, uh, in video series where um, Bordeaux wines were paired with local Latin dishes. And it was a sort of a great way to sort of make Bordeaux wines, which had seemed for everybody, and especially for Latinos, were believed to be uh, not uh, very approachable and sort of uh, out of reach and complicated. It made it a lot more um, relevant for consumers, especially with pairing with local dishes. So uh, here's some takeaways that I'd like to leave um, in terms of the, the opportunity here. As we've seen, the U.S. is a buying market, it is, it is large, and it's going to get even larger. And though general consumer, you know, appealing to the, just the general market works, there is a big opportunity to be culturally relevant with specific campaigns that target this audience. Um, one thing that we already have, there is a big advantage about wine and about Italian wine, that there is already an affinity to it, there is a preference for Italian wines that can just be tapped and even grown further. And um, we see the role of the wine industry in general and wine educators in particular as acting as this liaison, as this link between the industry and this large um, consumer base. In, in terms of what can the industry do, there are many things. If I would say that there are two main things that are sort of short, uh, low-hanging fruit, easy picks. One is to go out of your way to recruit and invest in Hispanic talent. Uh, and that means, as I said, any type of person who has a, cost, uh, a 
consumer-facing um, role. And that means go and, and, fire, and, and find sommeliers and retailers and distributors and importers, somebody who's, who's already in touch with the, the audience, it can sort of has a, as a head start in approaching, in approaching the Hispanic market. Uh, one way to do it, and I think that's been quite successful, is via education. Education scholarships go a long way of getting these people ready, who then can enter the industry and be, uh, be advocates of your brand and of uh, the, the wine industry in general. And there's also the opportunity for wineries, for consortium, or for any other um, uh, player in the space to do some specific cultural rele relevant outreach. And by that, um, it's as easy as ring fencing or allocating some funds specifically to targeting the, the Hispanic consumers. And uh, we can see that there is a large opportunity and uh, the potential for a really big payoff down the road. So with that, I think that just wanted to, uh, thanks again, grazie tante, for the time and I'm really open to any questions. Thank you, Alberto. So uh, before maybe to ask uh, to the panel some question, I, I have a question for you. Please. So um, more and more the USA culinary uh, market is influenced by, uh, of course, is, uh, Hispanic she uh, chefs and uh, restaurants mm -hmm. no, in America. What needs to be done to attract the large Hispanic customer to consume wine in, their, in this restaurant or another beverage? Yeah, I think that's, that's okay. a great, great way to get started. Because mostly yes. are, is, uh, is Hispanic community. Yeah, and we've seen in the last few years that there's been a boom of overall sort of Spanish and Hispanic culinary scene, which started with you know tapas bars and it made it all the way to now fusion and Latino fusion cuisines. So I think that there's an opportunity very similar to what, say, CIBB pioneered in a way in terms of uh, partnering with some of the well-known uh, chefs and people in the industry and, and doing this type of um, marrying the, the, the wines, yeah. your wines, with some of the cuisine. And as we've seen, yeah, there's still that perception that Latin food doesn't pair well, which is, couldn't be farther from the truth. So just uh, partnering with some, you know, champion, either you know, mm -hmm. some chefs, so well-known chefs, in especially I would say in those four key Hispanic markets, mm -hmm. in you know Miami, for example, or Los Angeles, or New York, or San Francisco, or even like Dallas and Houston in Texas. Those are specific markets that have large community uh, pioneers in terms of restaurants and uh, and uh, overall wine bars. And, and doing something proactive to do that. I think that that's, that's a great way to get in Italian wines known and really pairing it with, with our local food. Yeah, because uh, in the past, uh, you know, that for the Italian wines, uh, the proposal was uh, Italian restaurants, no? So, and I think what you say before is a new trend, is a new opportunity also for our wines, for the Italian wines to start with uh, this new community. So I think, uh, so thank you for um, your explaining about uh, this. And, um, and just to add to that, yes, I think that not only that, but there's other, I see two other benefits in Italian huh? wines that preferences for Hispanic consumers, they like either on the red side, uh, sort of bold, uh, yes. fully, 
fruit forward uh, wines. And there are some Italian wines that are that fill that profile that initially can be the good bridge into getting into the Italian you know, wine, wine scene. Also, uh, the Latin foods are heavy on sort of, uh, or acidity, we, we're not afraid of acidity and there are some, we use lemon and lime and that type of thing really well, which goes pretty, pretty well with some Italian white, white wines. So I think the opportunity is both so for whites, whites and reds, and they do pair really well with, with some Italian wines. Oh. Okay. Sorry. No. And uh, also the, the largest Hispanic uh, community is more uh, in uh, California. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, you tell. And California also is famous because there are a lot of wineries, uh, no, where uh, they produce uh, wine. So how can his Hispanic educators help uh, to direct more uh, wine consumption uh, to the Hispanic commu community? So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that that's right. And uh, probably the default is that people go for California wines, as we saw earlier, that's the number yeah. one in terms of preference, but uh, Italy's right after. So getting to know Italian, mm -hmm. Italian regions in a little more detail and having people ask about uh, Sangiovese or Chianti or, or, Corvina, uh, or Amarone or Corvina, exactly, versus, versus say what people know with the default, which is Chardonnay and, and Cabernet. That, that, is, that is a challenge that I think people are, especially as we saw that uh, Hispanics are interested in knowing more and getting outside of the, the California, the traditional California scene, which is great, but then there's opportunity to just by, by educating them on the native grapes of Italy and educating them on the, on the main regions of Italy and tying that to the history and the, and the, the territorio, that goes a long way, I think. Yeah, also because of Italy, we have a lot of a region with a different uh, variety of grapes, and also I think is a great opportunity. And uh, do you think that uh, uh, the best way to promote uh, is, uh, of course, is um, the social, or uh, also there are other way to to promote, uh, of course, our wines in uh, in this particular moment after the pandemic uh, period? What do you suggest? Yes, I'll say yes and yes. Okay. Yeah, I think that nowadays we found that online and social, there, it, there's no way back. First. Yeah, it is It is there and it's there to stay. And not only for sort of the newer audiences, mm -hmm. new generation, but pretty much for, for all consumers. So yes, uh, but there's opportunities once sort of the Horeca uh, okay. comes back to, to bring it into uh, being a player in your marketing mix as well. I think social, it's, for right. here and probably during this transition period will be quite important. But then having that sort of in-person live yeah. experience, uh, um, either partnering with similar players in other industries makes a lot of sense too. But social is probably the one that is um, initially, it's, it's a less of an investment and, and makes a lot of sense for many mm -hmm. different ones. Okay, thank you Alberto. I don't know if there is uh, some question uh, from um, <laughs> from the panel. Do you have any question to Alberto? Yes, please. Hi, and uh, thank you for a great presentation. I'm Juliana from Colangelo and Partners. Uh, I was curious to see that Italy is so much higher in terms of consumption percentage than Spain. Think I, I, I would think that. Um, the Latino market might have an affiliation with, with Spain or just some affinity towards that category. Any mm -hmm. thoughts on 
why Italy, and I'm, I'm happy to see it, but why Italy is uh, performing so much better than Spain when it comes to consumption among this uh, population. Yeah, I think that, that was an interesting finding even for me too. And, uh, and not only to Spain, but to, to other markets, to other countries and you know, like Argentina and Chile, which probably many, many uh, people are coming from. I'll, I'll say that, yeah, the, so there is probably, and on the positive side, there is the ease of uh, uh, familiarity with the, with the Spanish and you can read the label and so you can figure it out. So there is a positive on that. But uh, um, I think that there's, Italy has that sort of aspirational value of something new and unique and you feel a little, yeah, more than, more than just the familiar. And I think that's a, that's a value that, that Italy brings, mm-hmm. that there is a, this aura of Italian products in general. And that also applies to wines in terms of uh, perceptions of, of prestige and quality and mm-hmm. you know in a way fashion I would say but that's that's those are the aura that the Italian made in Italy has that has can, has trickled down into into wine and I think that that's that's another area where people would prefer that uh, which I also was surprised but it's it's great to see it that it's it's uh, it's so high even you know second uh, not only after mm, the yeah. U.S. My name is Andrea Killen. I'm from Latvia. I'm Italian wine ambassador. We teach together, <laughs> studying and get the same. Well, uh, could you please um, uncover one uh, your like recruit and invest in local? educator mm-hmm. what kind of uh, in details what is your let's say vision of this uh, let's say movement how, how how again you are a producer and probably mm-hmm. you are in a consortium maybe also you are tell your opinion how it could be possible to connect because of course we have a in each country distributor of wine and we also have a wine distributor that, uh, that teach let's say in Horeca sommelier, but they teach, let's say, how to sell their wines. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'm also, I have my wine club and uh, I have uh, my visitors and I see sometimes that, uh, for example, about Amarone, if wine distributors have uh, one, let's say, producer of Amarone and this Amarone, this producer produced in, let's say, big body style. They teach all, let's say, step down, 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 till customer that Amarone should be big. Mm-hmm. But of course, I know that Amarone in my wine club are sometimes showing five, six, seven, several labels that it could be smooth, let's say, easy drinking, yes. relative mm-hmm. for Amarone. But not the only one. So, of course, I'm teaching to, but I, I think that maybe the help of consortium, producer, and educator could be close. Closer, yeah, and it's help to everyone. So, in, I think that, just uh, open this. Uh, that's course. a really good question. I think it all, in my opinion, it depends. Um, it varies by how close you are to the consumer, right? Some people can do it directly, mm-hmm. meaning you work in a uh, in a retail shop. That's probably the easiest way. We make sure that if you live in yeah. in, a, in a highly Hispanic market, that you have people who reflect what your audience and your customer base looks like. 
Um, that could be also the same for say, if you work in a, as a distributor, maybe make sure that at least go out of your way. And if, if the, those markets are important for you, that you still have a few people who can relate to that and can definitely have that additional value that they bring for other, I'm saying for even like wineries, probably it's not as easy or, you know, Italian wineries that don't have a direct contact, but just, you know, it doesn't hurt to ask if this is important to say, Hey, just, uh, trying to bring it up as a possibility that do you do in markets where it's relevant that, uh, people that you work with have, or have a good rep representation of what the end audience and the consumer looks like, I think that's a positive thing. So I think it, it all depends. And another way is like, for example, like the, like the Bordeaux board did, which they actually hired someone became sort of an ambassador in a way uh, that had already connections with the, the, the market and made it, made that sort of liaison directly and say, okay, this is how, yeah, you know, the audience and you know, the, what they prefer and let's sort of bring it and make it approachable. So I think it all is not super easy. It depends on where in the value chain you are, but even if you're removed from that, there is something you can do just to ask your importer or your distributor, Hey, yeah, the U.S. Hispanic market is important. How many sales reps or many people that, that represent that group? Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, I don't know if you have any other thoughts. No, no, no. I, I think I, I agree with you. So it's uh, both have to, uh, to do something for help to promote. Uh, mm -hmm. So, for example, when I go to the USA market, I do myself uh, with our uh, importer. And I go to visit uh, and I, I tell the story you know, about uh, my, my wine, but also about my, my winery. So help to, uh, to increase, to, to push, uh, not only the passion, uh, the story of the family, but also the territory. So I think it's, uh, uh, it's important. No? And uh, we need also the, the, the ambassador, because uh, when uh, the producer uh, can go uh, always uh, to visit uh, the, the Oreca or the wine club, or we need also the ambassador that uh, transmit uh, the importance you know, of uh, our philosophy, our wines. Uh, and I think it's important this uh, network. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. it's very important. Okay, so well. No, we, I have another question. It, I can see. Yeah. So we are here in, uh, in Italy. Uh -huh. So it's an uh, important fair, exhibition. And uh, so we hope that uh, in the near future, uh, we have a possibility to have uh, a lot of tourists uh, come to visit mm -hmm. uh, the Italy, Italy country. Mm -hmm. So do you think that, for example, the Spanish, uh, you see that Italian wines is mm -hmm. important because it's after the... Uh, USA. So, do you think that uh, we need to do something for to um, to promote uh, our uh, country? Um, so, we need to do um, also for invite to 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 see to come uh, to visit uh, our winery. You know that uh, for uh, all the Italian produce is very mm -hmm. important the hospitality, you know, to mm -hmm. have the opportunity uh, to show our. Uh, uh, our passion, our winery, and uh, so do you think that there is uh, something that we can do for uh, increase to uh, mm -hmm. to come to visit uh, uh, the, um, this type of Hispanic community to visit us? Absolutely, yeah, and I think that the, when we, it's I, I, we've seen people, like... people, people in, in, uh, Hispanics are interested of getting 
beyond that in knowing what's out there. And especially in Italy, mm -hmm. there's a, a lots of appetite for knowledge and for you know, not only the, where, where the wine comes from and how was it made and what are, what are the place mm -hmm. looks like. So yes, uh, by uh, promoting that one, educating them on mm -hmm. the different regions and what's what's unique about each one of them, where the, what, you know, the key grapes, and eventually make it possible to have wine-related trips to the, the main wine-growing areas. I don't think that necessarily you need to do something specifically in in uh, the in your in, in the winery, but just getting to that process of once getting them become aware mm -hmm. of that where that is, and then uh, promoting the, the place, getting getting that top of mind of oh, and I think well, I really want to go to Veneto, and I know that I'm going to try this amazing Amarones, for example, mm -hmm. as a way of of a seed, planting that seed that there's a lot of receptivity that people would then. We want to travel and and see it firsthand. So yes, absolutely. And I think there's some a lot of work that can happen before uh, just to get him interested. And then they, they, once they get here, it'll be a, an amazing experience. But yeah, and there, there's there's a lot of potential lot for of that too. Yeah. Thank you. And what is the favorite uh, wine, Italian uh, wine? You know, is a north, is a north or south Italy? <laughs> so I don't know specifics. Well, yeah, well, the, some of the survey says that more of the actual bigger, bolder, fuller-bodied wines are probably the, the most mm -hmm. initially approachable. So I think that's a combination of uh, either you know wines from from the south, from Sicily and Puglia, and also uh, bigger ones or, Amarone, like Amarone, Amarone, and uh, sort of uh, Brunello. Marolo, yeah, Brunello, okay. yeah. So it's I think that yeah, it's initially more the fruit forest styles, and then the next level is getting to mm -hmm. a little more nuanced and complex, both both reds and and whites, and even sparkling. So yeah, ah, okay. Future for that too. <laughs> Most likely, I'll say that prosecco cannot be discounted. Yeah, but we need to promote that every region produce also a sparkling wine. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that yes, yeah. that and increasing that more of a daily consumption, which is probably the difference with, uh, say, you know, Italian communities, which is yeah. part of their meal, and Italian American communities. That's something that once you get to that point, then it's just a, an entry into all the styles and all the, the great things about Italian wine. Perfect. Thank you, Alberto. Uh, thank you, everybody, for. Uh, come to this uh, panel, so thank you very much. And uh, we hope uh, to see you, Alberto, and all of you next year at uh, Vinitaly 2022. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you. Yes. Thanks a lot. Thank, thank you. you Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, chin-chin. Hi, 
guys, I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.